is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Kent. I'm one of the staff here at the church, and I'm delighted that you are here today to worship. We are trying to navigate the Advent season, and that involves figuring out a couple things. The first thing has to do with light shining in darkness. And the question is, what difference does it make to you if you had a little bit of light shining in your darkness? That's part of our journey, to figure out what difference that light makes. And the other part of this journey is to try to figure out what is happening when heaven and earth come together. What difference could it make in your life if heaven came down into your life if heaven came to earth. This is what we're trying to figure out throughout this season, and we're using readings that have been assigned to us throughout this Advent season. Sometimes these readings strike people as slightly odd. They're not really Christmas readings, but they're definitely about light in the darkness and heaven coming to earth. And so we're going to read them together. The first one is from Isaiah chapter 11. So if you've got your Bible or your phone or some other device to read Scripture, I invite you to open it up to Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read 1 through 6. We'll be talking about the whole chapter, but um, just start by reading the first six verses. Isaiah 11, 1 to 6. As we prepare to read this together, I want to offer you this prayer. The Lord be with you. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Does anybody know this song? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. You know that song? Okay, what about this one? Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Okay, good, good job. How about this one? It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. 
Peace on the earth, goodwill to men, from heaven's all-glorious King. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Good job. Could you do the second verse of that one? Those are a little bit tougher. A lot of the songs we sing this time of year talk about peace and quiet and calm and stillness, kind of this picture of freedom from disruption. A lot of times we have images that are associated with this, and one of the images that comes to mind for me is this image. It's the kind of peaceful winter scene where the snowfall gently comes and the warm glow of the lights, maybe a nice fire in the fireplace. It's a picture of peace for many people, peace of mind, peace and quiet, undisturbed rest for the weary. It's kind of a greeting card, maybe hallmarkish kind of image of peace on earth. I wonder if this is what the angels were alluding to in Luke 2 when they made the announcement, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Was that the message that they were bringing? Calm, peaceful, quiet, solemn. Well, if this is what you were hoping to hear today, a message about this kind of peace, I'm just going to warn you, you might be in the wrong place. I'm going to suggest a different kind of peace. And this journey toward this peace starts with accepting no substitute peace. Christmas is one of the most celebrated of all holidays, right? Everybody seems to get on the bandwagon everywhere you go. There's, you know, elevator music and stuff going on. Even Scrooge and the Grinch eventually come around and experience the joy of Christmas. Christmas is every year, and yet I'm not the only one who wonders if we haven't um, started to lose the true meaning of Christmas. If we have substituted a lesser meaning. I mean, I love Christmas, but I also worry that the Christmas message has become more superficial, less significant, less real, less true. Every year I give a talk to the preschool kids from Noah's Ark, and this year they already came, so we had them here this week, kind of all sitting up here around the the picture looking at these beautiful things, and I start the conversation by asking them, tell me what kind of things you do to celebrate Christmas. And these little three- and four-year-olds yell out things like, you know, Christmas trees and lights and treats and candy and family and presents, lots of presents. And then I say, the reason you're gathered here today is to listen to me tell you the story, which is the reason why we have all this other stuff, the real meaning of Christmas. It has to do with a baby that was born in a manger, and this baby's birth was announced by a heavenly host of angels who came and said, go to Bethlehem and you will find this baby wrapped in a manger. And after I told this story to my little three and four-year-olds this week, I started to wonder, do all these other things really help us get to the true meaning? Or do they become so much more distraction and busyness and a substitute? Do we substitute something for the real meaning of Christmas? Our first step toward discovering real peace is to accept no substitute peace. When the angels arrived above the hills outside of Bethlehem, 
they disrupted everything. Think about that while you listen to this from Luke 2. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I mean, this whole story starts with fear and trembling. They were very, I think if you look at the original word, it's like terrified. How would you react if an angel appeared to you with some kind of message? And that's just the beginning. Then it says that the sky was filled with a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Do you picture this scene as peace and calm, solemn stillness? I picture it as being a disruption. The news of peace on earth was overwhelming. And I imagine that the shepherds did not take it as being very soothing. This peace that the angels were talking about was not what I would call a peace that's like goodwill or, or sentimental uh, kind of humanitarianism, you know? This is often the kind of peace we think about this time of year, that if we are the kind of people who will just go out and if we'll just do a, a few more good deeds, if we'll just be a little kinder, if we'll, you know, ring the bell at the red bucket, if we'll scoop our neighbor's sidewalk, if we'll give gifts to the under-resourced, if we'll just do something else, then this will cause the peace that's deep within every human heart to come out. And if this just grows to a certain proportion, then there'll be peace on earth. Goodwill to men. This is not the kind of peace that the angels were talking about. The kind of peace that they were talking about is a divine intervention. That because we were not able to get peace any other way, God says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to show you the way to peace. I'm going to disrupt everything. Our journey toward true peace begins with accepting no substitute peace and then it leads to embracing this interruption, embracing this, di- this divine disruption, the disruptive kingdom that God wants to bring. An angel came to Mary, and the angel says to Mary, you're going to conceive and give birth to a child, and the child you're going to give birth to will be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you'll give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. Do you picture this angelic message to Mary as calming, soothing, do you think Mary's blood pressure went up or down while the angel's talking to her? This is a disruptive message. God is intervening to bring peace. And he's doing it in very unexpected ways. Now, I think Mary caught a glimpse of this um, picture when she heard this message from the angel that this one who was going to come is going to be different and do different things than anyone else? That he was going to perform mighty deeds with his arm? This is from her song. He's going to scatter those who are proud in their inmost thoughts? That he's going to bring down rulers from their thrones? That he's going to lift up the humble? That he's going to fill the hungry with good things? That he's going to send the rich away empty? You hear the disruption there? Those who are in charge, the powerful, the mighty, the, the tyrant, the wicked, they're going to be brought down. The humble... The poor, the needy, they're going to be raised up. This is a complete upheaval, a complete turning upside down. 
Isaiah was talking about this very thing in Isaiah 11. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, this shoot and stump thing is talking about the kingdom of David, the Davidic kingdom, that there had been kings for many years, but now it's been almost 600 years since there's been a king in Israel. It looks like the tree was cut down. There's going to be no more, but the shoot comes up. There's going to be another king, he tells us. And this is what will happen with this king. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge. This is the disruption of the kingdom. A king is coming, and he's coming to judge. And then we get this picture of this judgment in verse 4 at the end of this passage he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked does that sound peaceful smiting you with his rod slaying you with his tongue but take heart we're told this judgment is not random the king will do what is right i really like the paraphrase in the message paraphrase of verse 3 and 4 here because it it brought to light the kind of judgment the king brings it says the king won't judge by appearances the king won't decide on the basis of hearsay the king will judge by what is right the mighty will be brought down the weak will be exalted rulers will be exiled outsiders will be welcomed the world gets turned upside down This is the peace that this king is going to bring. Now I have a picture of what this might look like. Now the reason you can't see much in this picture is because it's a picture of a blizzard, right? It's not the calm, peaceful little gentle snowstorm. This is what happens when a blizzard comes. Everything gets turned upside down. All of your normal plans get disrupted. We don't get to do what we want to do. We get stuck. Uh, Blizzard disrupts everything. Maybe it looks like this, the outcome of a blizzard. Everything gets buried in this blanket of snow, and there's a certain kind of peace about it. But the reality of it is it's not business as usual after a blizzard, is it? There is a break, a disruption. Advent asks us to embrace the reality that God disrupts everything. Luke 2, verse 1, For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The reason this baby came was to take care of sin. That's what a Savior does. It's not business as usual. It's confronting us all with the reality that we have a sin problem and we can't fix it on our own. There's nothing we can do about it. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. Without a Savior, we're trapped. We're stuck. Buried under an avalanche of snow. The real meaning of Christmas is that God himself says, I'm coming down there to do something about this. 
And the reason I have to come down there and do something about this is because you can't do anything about it yourself. And so God does something about it by coming to be with us. This is the real message of Christmas. And the real meaning is that God himself will save us by coming to live with us in justice, immorality, selfishness, sickness, corruption, brokenness. This is the human condition. This is our condition. This is my condition. It's your condition. So, peace comes. That's not just about what's going on out there. That's about what's going on in here. Peace comes because God comes to be with us. And that changes everything. It disrupts everything. We who were once God's enemies become God's daughters, God's sons. We become his children. We become part of his family. And that brings peace. The fruit of this is described in lots of different ways in Scripture. The passage today is described the fruit of this peace like this. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling will lie down together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Real peace comes when we embrace this disruption. It comes when we accept this gift of salvation. It starts when we say, there's no substitute for this peace. We're not going to accept any substitutes. We're going to only embrace the real thing. And when we do, we embrace a little disruption, and it comes because the king saves us. Then, it seems to me, it's possible for us to start to live with the posture of peace. So this is the third step in this journey. Assume the posture of peace. Now, the story, the biblical story tells us that Jesus was born during the reign of the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus. You've heard that name before. Maybe you didn't know that Caesar Augustus was actually the Caesar who presided over the longest period of peace in Roman history. It was a time in history that was actually labeled the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And Caesar, because he brought in this season of peace, was also called the Prince of Peace. Even though the way he maintained peace in Rome was by coercion and force. That's how he maintained it. The Roman legions kept everybody from uprising. They kept everybody in their place. The peace came because they had the power to maintain the peace. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds to me a little bit like a substitute peace, not the real thing. Jesus, the real prince of, prince of peace, comes and he brings a, a supernatural peace, a divine peace, peace with God. And this peace doesn't come by coercion. It doesn't come by military force. It doesn't come by making anybody accept the peace. It comes through humility. 
It's procured through self-sacrifice. It's maintained by love. This peace that the, the real Prince of Peace brings is actually revealed through things like a little shoot growing up out of a stump. It's revealed by things like a baby in a manger. It's revealed by a king riding a donkey. It's revealed by a savior being nailed to a cross. It's revealed through a body broken and blood poured out. These are genuine peace postures that result in peace. Real peace, lasting peace, peace that changes everything. This disruptive king and his disruptive kingdom eventually through these postures takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden where everything is perfect, where everything that was wrong has been made right, where everything that's broken has been fixed. This is the kind of peace that he brings through these postures. So much so that he says, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is what's coming through this peace. It's a real, tangible, lasting, permanent peace. So much so that it's described as being like wolves and lambs, they lie down together. Bears and Cows, they eat together. They both eat straw. Lions and little children. Poisonous snakes and a little, ch- and a little child. This is the kind of peace that's coming. He could just as easy as describe this peace of these things all living together. Or how about rich and poor living together? Republicans and Democrats living together. Liberals and conservatives abused and abusers black and white and hispanic and asian people all living together this is the kind of peace that results from this disruption we get lots of glimpses about this when we're looking forward to the second coming of jesus in the book of revelation one of my favorite passages there is revelation 7 9 which says after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. All these people living together in peace. It's possible because God came near. So that's a biblical vision of this posture. I thought it might be helpful to give a more contemporary picture of this posture. So in my mind, one picture of this posture of peace is this one. We who were once buried in a blizzard of sin are now free to go dig other people out from their sin. And we don't do this because it's like a humanitarian effort of goodwill, of trying to like raise up goodness from within everybody's heart. It's because we know that we were forgiven and the only path to forgiveness was through this Savior. And so now we can go into a world that's desperately in need of a Savior and we can love them in all the practical ways that we're called to love them. We can dig them out from their sin. We don't save them. We just demonstrate things like unreasonable hospitality, just to go above and beyond to make everybody feel welcome. We can love them by serving them with transparency and authenticity, just being real about who we are and real about the state of the world. 
just being honest with them. We can dig them out by offering forgiveness freely to everyone with no judgment, with no conditions. Offer them forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We can dig them out by restoring and reconciling, by building bridges. Serve without limitation. Jesus talked about it this way. He said, this is how you dig somebody out of a blizzard. We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. When someone asks you to go a mile, you go a second mile. If someone asks for your shirt, you give them your coat. This is how we dig people out. And I know how complex this is. I've got complex situations in my life and have my whole life in areas where I'm trying to reconcile with people. And it feels like I dig and I dig and I dig and I never get anywhere. I dig and sometimes they say to me, I'm not, I'm not in a snowbank. I don't need to be dug out. Sometimes I dig and try to help and they say, you're not helping me. Put that snow back. It's a tough calling. It's possible because we are the kind of people who accept no substitutes for peace. We're going to go for the real peace, which means we're going to embrace the disruption. We're going to embrace the mess of it. We're going to go in there and do what's right. And then in the end, we're going to maintain this posture of peace no matter what happens. And it's not our job to change the world. It's God's job to change the world. But he wants to change it by pointing people to Jesus, the real Prince of Peace, the one who gives permanent peace, real peace, and he's going to use us to do that. Dear Lord God, I give you thanks for this day and thank you for the opportunity to meet here and to look at your word and to think about the, the peace that you bring us, the, the peace that you offer the world. I pray that you'll continue, God, to stir up within us the, the thing that you're calling us to do and then help us to follow you and we'll give you the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.